Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live on this first Wednesday of the month of September. What a blessing it is to be walking in partnership with our Lord. And as I am speaking to you from the Father's Church here in Dallas, I want to remind all of our Saints Network family that in just two weeks, our on-site seminar here in Dallas for the Saints Network will be convening. And we strongly encourage those who are attending live uh, in person or those who are going to be joining uh, in the live broadcast virtually, which means online, please register. And there in the registration on our Saints Network site, you have uh, a designation of whether you'll be here in person or whether you will be attending um, remotely. That's going to be very helpful for us to know. And so don't neglect taking the few minutes that it will require you to invest to do that. Thank you to everybody that's already done it, but let's um, let's please adhere to that simple request, and we certainly thank you and appreciate it. You have an outline today, and I would encourage you to access that. But the title of our message today is "Kings and Priests." And this is something that the Lord strongly placed on my heart as I was looking at scriptures in the book of Revelation. I noticed, well, I'd already known this, but the Lord highlighted something to my attention and it really has stood out over the past few days. And that is how God says that we are called to be kings and priests. Let's take a look at those first two references of that phrase in the book of Revelation. Here in Revelation 1, beginning at verse 4, the scripture says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Hmm. All those wonderful things that John begins this epistle with, and after he says that we are washed from our sins by his blood because of the love that God has for us, of all the things that it could say we derive from that blessing, he says that 
we are made to be kings and priests. In Revelation 5, when the scripture speaks about what happened when Jesus ascended into heaven and when he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world typified in that vision and he went before the throne of God and received the the little book from the hand of God and he assumed his place at the right hand of the throne there was great jubilation there was tremendous givings of thanks and all of the deserved eternal platitudes that were spoken of to the Lord. But out of all that, the one thing that is said about how mankind benefits is very clear. Let's look at it. Revelation 5, verses 8 through 10. And when Jesus had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God, kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth what an amazing proclamation there's again a glorying of the sacrifice of Jesus and his triumph and how that then yields redemption to us and then out of all the things that could be said as to our benefit from accepting this gift it says that we are made to be kings and priests this is something that is spoken of in Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6 after the Lord had caused Moses to lead the people out of Egyptian bondage and they had their first run-in with the Amalekites and God released the manna provision for them six days per week. God leads them to Sinai and he is uh, he's going to meet with Moses and there in Exodus 19 verses again 5 and 6 Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. This term is uh, utilized to describe kingdoms. It's also described kingly authority. And um, it, it addresses the priesthood within that. And it also addresses the Old Testament term most little, readily translated as holiness or the saints. So this was God's intent. And 
Of course, we recognize that in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, there was there was not going to be a need for priests who would offer sin sacrifices because the Lord had offered himself as the sacrifice above all and there would be no more need for that offering of bulls and goats and lambs um, there, there would be there would be no more need for that and but here is the reference to a priest and really in Exodus 19 there had not yet been established the Levitical order and, and there hadn't been all the um, all the all the regulations and restrictions for the for the offerings and so a priest in God's eyes is someone who yes is a mediator someone who connects between God and mankind someone who hears what God is saying and would proclaim it and someone who would offer to God whatever it is that he requires that's really the the essence of a priest and I think that we are being instructed at this time in a uh, in a role of being kings and priests and I I believe that we are we are going to we're going to be asked of God to fulfill these roles in a more dynamic way than I think any of us realize. I think we've been fulfilling this to a very large degree. We've been being prepared and trained in the ways that these words indicate, but I don't know that we've really understood that we are to be this before the Lord. Peter <clears throat> talks about this very openly in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Peter says, concerning the saints as a priesthood, as the saints deal with pneumatikos offerings, and building a pneumatikos house. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen, there's the eclectos of God, and precious. This is a derivative of um, honor. It's a derivative of timos. And it, it really means to be reliable and effective at any needful moment. That's, that's what we are as precious ones. As lively stones built up a pneumatikos house, a hagios priesthood that offers up pneumatikos sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I think that if we consider what the saints are supposed to be and how that God leads the saints by virtue of 
the spirit of truth into the stronger meat and has been laboring to make us aware of deeper things that the scripture is saying than perhaps a surface view or a a tacit understanding might yield. I think that when we receive those pneumaticos understandings, when we're guided into truth by the spirit of truth, then the things that we do in regard to that in obedience in so many ways is is a spiritual sacrifice of obedience before God. Uh, and 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 also as we do them we are building we're constructing the pneumaticos house this is very important for us to recognize this is extremely important for us to recognize and um, this spiritual house this pneumaticos house and these pneumaticos sacrifices are something that the saints offer before God. You know, obviously one of the sacrifices that the saints generate before God are our prayers, which we read earlier in this teaching, uh, that, that rises as incense before God. And it's pleasing to Him. And as we pray according to um, that those directives that are clearly stated in the Old Testament pertaining to the incense of God, uh, the holy incense, and we we determine through other existing teachings that we've given that this aligns with the way God wants us to pray, embracing his burden. When we do that, we are really, um, we are a precious gift we're providing a precious gift to God that he that he requires because he looks for an intercessor and he looks for friends who will be with him so that he can converse with them before he does anything and we know that this is this is the way God moves he gives us the spirit of grace and supplication which is partnership prayer concerning where he wants to go, what he wants to do. And so this is really an essence of the saints, a priestly role. And I I know that here Peter, in very simplistic but yet powerful terms, tells us that this is a this is a holy, a hagias um, priesthood. And it, it is dealing with pneumaticos points of direction that is building a very deep spiritual structure before God. And within that frame, we are offering pneumaticos sacrifices. Now, I, I think that, obviously, as we mentioned, one of the sacrifices that is very clearly detailed in the book of Revelation is the incense, our prayers. So we know that is part of it. But we also have to recognize that whatever we do in obedience to God, offering sacrifices of righteousness, righteous vision, in obedience to obey, 
is better than earthly sacrifice. Um, that that is a pneumaticos offering to God, and not only is it an offering, but it 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 constructs something that God needs to have in place on this earth. It's a pneumaticos house, which Peter says in these very simple but very direct words it's a, it's a it's a scenario of honor and again honor is investing your time this is a combination of the the new testament and the old testament biblical definition of honor in fact time is is where we get our word time in english and this is the, the root of honor so you invest your time you invest who you are. Time is our most precious commodity. As we don't have on earth uh, and a limitless supply. But also in the Old Testament, it, it speaks of honor being to be imprinted by the burden of the Lord. And when you go forth, people can look at you and the imprint of who you are and in God, and they recognize that you have become, I guess, dare I say, Christ-like. You know, when Jesus said, you see me, you've seen the Father, he was speaking about this principle of honor. And uh, I, I firmly believe that we are... We are in his image. We are to be Christ-like. And this is a measure of being precious. In fact, in Exodus 19, the verse we just read, we're a peculiar treasure. Here we're precious. And it's, it's something that is unto the Lord. So the first thing Peter really says about priests and kings is that we are to be saintly priests and we are to be partnering with God in pneumaticos sacrifices from a foundation of an evolving construction of a pneumaticos house. This is so important. And how many times over the years have we talked about how that what God gives to people uh, to his sons in deeper measures of understanding what the Bible speaks about having strong meat and, and this is mentioned a number of times in the New Testament and it's it's amazing to me that a good portion of the church either is ignorant of the deeper things of the word or they just choose not to pursue them. They, they would rather be a surface individual. I'm not condemning that. Uh, you know, you're, you're still in the family of God if you're born again. But, um, you know, even when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he said, I'm going to tell you these things, um, but I'm going to ask the prophets and I'm going to ask the pneumaticos ones. Is what I'm saying right? Let them judge and let them tell you. 
So not everybody is functioning in this. I, I hate to say that, but it's just the truth. And we've had a number of illustrations of this through the scripture. You know, Paul wrote and said, you know, I'd like to write to you about the oracles of the Lord and the deeper things, but you can't bear them. You, you still want to dwell in the milk. And I, I think that Christians either like a just a an elemental existence or they forgive me for saying this embrace a laziness or they want to be entertained so they hop from other people's visitations and any new thing that comes down the pike they grab it and don't worry three months later there'll be another one and I'll grab it but the whole principle of being an enduring pneumatikos house is foreign to them I remember when God first started to teach us about you know what the scripture says pertaining to growing through the process of starting off in God and then eventually heirs and enjoyed heirs or being a child and then being a son and we talked about things like that we talked about the degrees of authority in the Lord and there were a lot of people in my church that were gravely offended by that and I think part of it was that you start viewing it through the eyes of humanity and its competition and it's saying that one is better than another and if you're looking at it from an earthly standpoint yeah that that could be intimidating there could be jealousy there could be competition but I'm not the one who wrote these scriptures I'm not the one who ordained the principles of God to be spoken of in this way God did and he wants us to grow and he wants us to minister in the deeper things of his spirit based upon his word and so the first measure that Peter speaks about regarding a priesthood is that it's it's called by a saintly calling and you are operating in that priesthood within a pneumatikos structure and you're offering up pneumatikos sacrifices I think it's safe to say that Peter would know what he's saying here. You know, Paul, the apostle, wrote about a number of things, and we cherish what the Spirit wrote through him. But Peter was just a very simple man. He knew the Lord. Uh, he, both John and Peter, were the, the two major male disciples and I think that if anybody would know the principles of the kingdom it would be both of them so here Peter is using this very uh, what's a good word very specific term and he knew what he was saying so he's saying that this is a saintly priesthood and it's built on pneumatikos principles 
and pneumatic sacrifices are being offered. Not simple run-of-the-mill things, but those that are ordered by God and you have to press in a bit deeper to be able to serve God in this way and to offer these things. Then Peter speaks about the eternal objective of this and he he says, Wherefore we read in the scripture, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which are be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Wow. Peter first starts talking about a saint's priesthood with deep pneumaticos things. Then the Spirit leads him into people being called to this walk, but they reject the cornerstone and stumble at it, rejecting the word. And then he continues to speak about kingship. You are a chosen generation, eclectos. These, this is not just the ecclesia. These are people that make the privilege of being called out ones their lifestyle. A royal priesthood. Royal. Basileos. It's the same terminology to describe a king. The same terminology to describe a kingdom. It is, uh, it is formed by where the, the feet of the ruler stands. And that then is the epicenter of the kingdom, the base, as it were, of the Basileos. And it, it is this kingly priesthood, a holy nation, Hagias, nation, a peculiar people. And this word is a bit different because it means this. I, I've, I've looked at several different academic definitions of this. And here's a synopsis of it. Ready to move into any measure of appointed service, acquisition, or purchase. And we're that kind of people. To show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here we have a holy nation, saints nation, which means that there should be a lot of these outposts where we, of course, are offering these pneumaticos gifts to God because we love him and we're obedient. But we also are given the privilege of demonstrating kingdom authority and the rule and reign of God. This is your kingdom come your will be done. That's this type of priesthood. So you have two types of priesthoods. You have those that are mediating between God and the earth. You're offering up sacrificial gifts to God of, 
of uh, obedience and intercession and willingness to do what he says. And then because of that base, you engage in extending kingdom rule, kingly authority from the Lord where we're asking God's kingdom to come and his will be done and we're pillars in that temple, stilos, we're welcoming the visitation of what God wants and it's not just for us, but we're, we're a nation of this. There are outposts of this. All these these city-states, as it were, of pneumaticos understanding, wherever we're planted, we link together by the directive and the, um, the overall plan of God to see these things happen. Uh, to see this priesthood welcome the kingdom. Kings and priests. I love the illustration that is found in Hebrews 6, beginning at verse 20, going into chapter 7, verse 1. This we're talking about Jesus, our great high priest, the high priest of this order of saints. Whither, whither, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made and high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Why the order of Melchizedek? Melchizedek meaning king of righteousness, he was stated to be the king of what was Jerusalem, what was Salem or Jerusalem at that time, but he was also a priest of El Elyon. This is the order that Jesus is the great high priest of, and it's obvious that it's the same order that we read about in Revelation 1 and chapter 5, and what we are also considering in Peter's discussion. So here's this Melchizedek character. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. So you've got righteous vision because Sedek is, is vision. It's, it's vision. You also have him being a king of the city of peace, which is basically... I'm reigning here, and my objective is to gain directness from God and to do what he says to do. But I'm also a priest of El Elyon, the God of the high places. So whatever priestly thing he was offering was on behalf of the high places in God, which then controls territory and subsequently he is a king in on earth of a city that is known for fulfilling the purpose and the directive of God. This is the order that our great high priest is heading. 
Now, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me who you are. I don't see how any sincere student of the Bible can find fault with anything that we've just said. This is straight scripture. Now, again, righteousness, I mean, I know what the general church say, says that is. It's, it's the same as justification, which is justify have never sinned. And we throw that all into whether we're born again or not. And in the vernacular of the world, righteousness or righteous dude is somebody that's really cool, man. But the root of righteousness in the Old Testament is vision. I mean, when God spoke to Abram and said, I want you to look up into the stars and I want you to see the number of them. I'm going to make your seed numerous as that. And quite likely, in my opinion, God is showing the eternal inheritance by looking up there. And Abram believed God. And what happened? The first issuance of righteousness. God counted it to him for righteousness. God said, you've seen this vision that I've shown you and you believed that vision. So that's what righteousness is. It is the term vision. So the king of that kind of partnership with God, which is what Melchizedek means, is also a king of a earthly terio, and it's known by the name of accepting what God directs and carrying that through to victory. And to be a priest of the high places of God, where you offer up sacrifices uh, specifically before God in, uh, in strategic locales that then direct victory in the earth around. You know, the kings of Israel were judged, every one of them, by what they did and did not do in the high places. And here, Melchizedek is a priest of the high places where God, those strategic locales where God is uh, wanting his kingdom to be welcomed into terrains and into regions and into so many areas of strategic import in the world. So, what does this mean for you? Well, you need to keep on offering as saints yourself, your intercession. You need to stay current with pneumatikos understandings that are being revealed by the Lord. And you need to offer up your prayers, offer up your obedience, offer up your your partnership with God in supplication. And this is a holy priesthood, a saintly priesthood. And from that, we are able to establish a, a, a very deep pneumaticos structure, a base from which we then can rule and reign with the Lord as kingly priests. And now, some of the translations, some of the 
earliest manuscripts. I find nothing wrong with the the, the uh, manuscript that this passage was interpreted into, translated into from the King James, but uh, or other manuscripts will will say that this is more of a kingdom. It doesn't matter. It's the same word. It's the same word. It's just a, a, the difference between a king and a kingdom. How can you have a kingdom without there being a king? So, you know, the Lord is uh, is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That uh, he's he's dealing with people who are following this, and then people who perhaps are fulfilling some kind of a uh, of an individual point of service, which is what Lord is, kurios. It's the New Testament uh, example of Adonai in the Old Testament. So everybody doing what they're supposed to do individually. We're not cookie cutters in this. Everybody is different before the Lord. Everybody has a different calling from the foundation of the world. But we can all fall into this pattern that God establishes of being kings and priests. Does that make sense? You know, there were different kinds of kings in the Old Testament. And I'm not judging whether they were good kings or bad kings. David was a unique king. He was certainly different than Saul. He was certainly different than Solomon. He was certainly different from Hezekiah, but they were all kings. There were different kinds of priests, but they were priests. So, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is the Lord. And, and you know, we read in, in the book of Revelation, but that when Jesus is on the white horse and his mouth is, uh, is containing the sword where he's going to smite Babylon and the nations and all the saints are on horses clothed in white. On his vesture, he's wearing that banner that speaks King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He, and he's going immediately following the angels gathering the eclectos from the four corners of the earth. This business of kings and lords and being priests before God is something that he takes very seriously. Now, we, we're saints. We're the saints network. So, can you not see that we are a holy nation that means that I'm here Pastor Larry's over in Florida Pastor Teresa's out in Arizona Luke and Sylvie are over in France and we are connected as saints that have been appointed to specific places and we are to be reigning with the Lord there. But the base of our structure is pneumatikos offerings as a holy, saintly priesthood. Do you see this? It's it's very simple, very clear. But this is the way God moves. And now, I want to show you one other scripture, and that's from the end of the book of Revelation, or close to the end. 
Chapter 20, verse 4. I saw thrones, and they sat on them. Judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness, martyria of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and shall reign. There's Basileia again. With him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now let's talk about that. Because we've studied it many times. And we can clearly read it. Once Satan gets busted out of the slammer by the good grace of God, what's he do? He gathers people as the sand of the sea, and he surrounds the camp of the saints. Isn't that something? What was that camp of saints doing for those thousand years? They were priests of God and of Christ and they reign kings and priests this is the saintly calling this is what the rejoicing in the book of Revelation is is uh, is absolutely proclaiming to us you look at that the very beginning of Revelation, John says this. We're born again so we can be priests and kings. Then in chapter 5, he shows the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. People, the king, the uh, elders and the angels are falling on their face and they're rejoicing at the victory of Jesus. And of all things they could say, what do they say? He's made us to be kings and priests. Peter, the rock of the early church, he speaks about, as only Peter could, being kings and priests in a saintly walk. At the end of this apocalyptic telling of the end times, you've got the saints encamped who are ministering as kings and priests. So do you see our mission leading into these days where we are asked to reach to the nations, to the places that God has is opening the doors um, and to teach pneumaticos principles, to teach the calling and the walk of the saints, to teach the application of the cross in Arterio and welcoming the kingdom there. Can you see how this is building a holy nation based upon a pneumaticos structure for pneumaticos sacrifices to be offered before our Father and to welcome His kingdom? Do you see how this plays its role throughout the end times? And you see how Daniel spoke about the saints and our enemy trying to wear out the saints and that grappling back and forth where the saints overcome and then they're overcome and then the saints overcome and then they're overcome. It's a battle. 
but God is over all. I, I love this, and I see how vital it is, and I pray that God will cause us to be done with lesser things and accept this precious and undeniable calling. Now, the other question that we have with this is what we talked about a week ago on Sunday, the patience of the saints. Um, it's staying planted where you're called to abide. Um, that fits in here. The saints and prophets, of the martyria. You know, I, I really think that the essence of that are the saints. You know, the, the queen of heaven has the chalice filled with the blood of these ones. And a prophet, then, a martyrio, is somebody that God identifies that's going to, for the Lord, be showcased in some way. You know, we're going to be dealing with a character known as the false prophet who says things and demonstrates miracles and lying signs and wonders. And so there are going to be those that God brings in direct, open um, opposition to that structure. But the base of our operation is going to be this role of kings and priests in the nation of the saints, the priesthood of the saints, ruling and reigning with God. I don't want to confuse anybody. Just say it this way as we close. This is our calling. However God is going to detail exactly how these end time events are going to play out that's up to him the timing of it that's up to him but the structure of our responsibilities as saints we need to be doing now we can't be like will rogers will rogers said that the united states is the only country that waits till we're in a war to prepare for it we we've got to be ready We've got to be doing these things now. We've got to work for the night is coming, and we've got to extend this responsibility that we have of function and teaching, to do and to teach. Because as we can clearly see, this is something that God wanted from the time he first called his people out of Egypt. And, and arguably, Abram, and Melchizedek, Abram was already moving in these things. And Melchizedek was. But then God wanted his people to be this. And we know the record of what really happened. But then Jesus comes and we have this emphasis on the kingdom coming and the will being done and serving the Father and offering up ourselves and intercession and the calling of the saints and being kings and priests and pneumatikos people 
these are all very clear for us. We understand by the mercy of God what these things mean scripturally, so we've we've got to do them. And I I see this under attack. I, you know, over the over the years, I just confess this. I have grieved over the things that we've seen that have failed. Um, and and I, I've prayed, God, send us an anointing, a strong anointing that will get a hold of people and will impart to them a hunger, a fire shut up in their bones that they can't ignore, that they can't dismiss or jettison. But I guess, again, it goes back to the, to the same thing we've always said. This is a love relationship. You can't legislate love. You can't force love. You can't coerce someone to accept the burden. It has to be embraced. And it has to be kept alive. But I've grieved as I've seen this. I've grieved. I, I really was in prayer and grieving last year that so many of the, of the major gatherings that God had allowed us to, to see him open the door and schedule when they had to be canceled and I, I grieved over lost opportunity but then I recognized that the Lord was aware of that we, we, we obeyed him we offered that and, and I believe that it was a, a warfare tactic that caused this pandemic to shut things down but God is turning it for the good it's, it's kind of like an illustration is of, of, of the many challenging things that have happened due to the pandemic. One of the blessings of it is that we've been able to see what's being taught in our schools. We probably would not have seen that without the challenges that this pandemic uh, availed upon us. So we just have to be faithful and do what God says to do. And, uh, but I care very deeply about this, as I know you do too. I don't want to miss an opportunity. I don't want to come behind in any grace. I, I don't want to accept a 30-fold. I want 30, 60, and 100. I want, I want us to be able to be those gatekeepers who who lift up the gates and and see that the doors are functional so that the king of glory can come in these are our privileged responsibilities as we partner with god so i urge you to reread these scriptures and to know that this is talking about you. It's talking about our saints. And I believe that as we gather in two weeks from now, 
there is there is a holy convocation and a quickening and an impartation for this work as it is going to accelerate in the days and months to come the night comes when no man can work we've got to see obediently these things established but we've got to establish them right here where we are wherever you are so I bless you saintly nation saintly priests kingly priests before our Lord the great high priest the great king the great Lord Jesus Christ the only begotten of the Father the one true God the pathway the only pathway to know the Father I bless you in his name and I speak health and strength and provision and encouragement and direction and everything else that you need I speak that precious commune with God into your life thanks for joining with the saints today and I pray that this scripture teaching has been a blessing to you may it accomplish what God sent it to do in your life and so don't forget first Saturday prayer this coming Saturday we'll look forward to being before the throne together with you and until the next time we can share the word together may God bless you and goodbye